0: It is my privilege to introduce our guest speakers today. Um, I realize looking back that I've um, known Mike and Jody for the last 20 plus years. I worked with uh, Mike at Northwood Children's Services, and he happened to know me before I knew Christ, so we've been able to um, watch each other's journeys and um, just really been fun to get to know Mike and Jody. Um, they I have a fond memory of them sitting on a dance floor showing a, a wedding video for Corey and I at our wedding, and so... They've been around with us for a while. It's been fun. And um, for those of you that don't know, Um, Mike has been on staff at Good Hope here for quite a while, and he takes care of all the maintenance needs. So if things are working well, bathrooms are working, lights are working, heat's working, he's just there and is always helping us to get um, things where they need to be. And I also heard that Mike worked pretty hard at getting this beautiful winter wonderland up here on the stage for us. So thank you, Mike. (laughs) Mike and Jody have also served on worship team and um, done sound and prayer. They've just been an intricate part of our Good Hope family. It has been fun to witness their faithfulness over the years, and I cannot wait for you to hear their story of redemption. So I invite Mike and Jody Jurek up to the stage. It is so good to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Nicole. It is great. Great to be here standing in front of you with my wife, <laughs> whom I love very much. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, um, so as Nicole stated, uh, my name is Mike Drick. Um, this is Jody, and I'm going to steal one of Pastor Mike's jokes. <laughs> And we are, we've been celebrating 17 years of wedded bliss in 22 and a half years of marriage. <laughs> it hasn't always been rosy, mm-hmm. as, as you will hear, but we are so thankful for the testimony that God has, has given us, and we're very excited to share that testimony with you. And. As far as testimony goes, I love, I love, love, love testimony. Not just ours, but anybody's. Um, For lots of different reasons. And our testimonies, they're not just the stories of the things that we've been through. It's not something that we need to keep to ourselves. It's stories that we share so that we can encourage not just ourselves, but others for the trials and hardships that they also may face when we can look back at the things that God has carried us through, no matter how small it builds our faith and helps us trust him in the next and even more, maybe more difficult things. And I believe that God can redeem anything, amen, Mm -hmm. if we let him. And so we share our testimony to give him glory for what he's done in our life and encourage you to put that same trust in in the same God that carried us through our storms. So let's open with a little bit of prayer. Lord God, we are so thankful, so grateful to be able to stand before you this morning, sharing our lives, encouraging your people. I just pray that as we go through this testimony that lives are changed, hearts are touched that your word is spoken and your word
2: is received. Lord, God, be with us this morning. In your name. Amen. So a quick little background of
1: myself. I grew up in a Christian home. We were raised on a farm just north of here, up in Culver. It's about 20 minutes away. I'm the second oldest out of 12 kids, big family, lots of work to do, and we were raised we were raised to work hard and have a good work ethic. I was good at it and found a lot of fulfillment in it, and people recognized the value of that, and it wasn't long until soon that was the only value that I saw in myself. That's how I, how I valued myself. Soon it wasn't long until there, there wasn't enough hours in the day to keep up with people's requests, asking for me to help them. And, of course, you know, when you find value in that, what do you do? You go help them. And so that's what I did. It didn't help that I enjoyed it. I loved what I was doing. I would get focused on that and completely lose track of time. And I'll admit, I I missed out on a lot of family time. And in doing that, I also started losing connection with my wife, Jodi.
3: I was also raised in a Christian home. And I accepted Jesus in my heart when I was just five years old. And I would say I had a really blessed childhood. I spent a lot of time at church doing ministry, and that's where we met was in church and doing ministry together. And so we got married in 2000, and a few years later, we had our firstborn, Josie. Hi, she's right there. (laughs) And then three and a half years later, we had another child, our son named Ian. Hi, Ian, he's right there too. (laughs) But when he was just three months old, my dad passed away from a very long, hard battle with colon cancer. And that was a really hard loss for all of us. Because one of the things you need to know about my dad is that he was the most joyful person you would have ever met. I'm convinced that when he became a Christian, God gave him the gift of joy because he was joy 24 seven. Everywhere he went, he brought joy with him. So when he passed away, we were left trying to process and grieve his loss, but also his presence and the joy that he brought now was deeply missed. On top of that, I was completely heartbroken and disappointed that God didn't heal him. So I put God in a timeout. Yeah, the one who is our true source of joy. I put him in a timeout. So here I was with a three month old colicky infant, a toddler mad at God, grieving my dad, feeling very sad, very depressed, and feeling very alone. I did get counseling, and I went to grief Support Group, which were both really good for me in processing my dad's passing. But I still felt joyless and hopeless. It didn't take long for me to go back to God. But the disappointment and the trust issues definitely put a wedge in my relationship with God that now would allow bitterness, doubt, mistrust to just seep in. Our marriage was also suffering in the midst of all this. I didn't know how to vocalize what I was feeling or what I needed. So this left Mike feeling pushed
2: away. So he went where he felt needed
3: at work, at church, at the theater, doing odd jobs for people, which meant he was gone a lot. And we were horrible at communication. I wanted him to choose to stay home, but I didn't want to say that because I didn't want him to make, you know, feel like I was being weak or needy. So he wanted me, he wanted me to say, I know you have this thing going on, but would you instead stay home with me and the kids? So he would ask, Hoping, I would say, stay home. But I would say, sure, that's fine. I know it brings you joy, and I don't want to take that from you. All the while, hoping, hoping he would just choose to stay home. We were both so deeply in love with each other. But we were both so deeply convinced that neither actually liked each other. It was a really hard time for both of us. And we both just started gravitating towards the things that would bring us joy and make us forget how miserable we were. Even if it was just for a moment. And guess what? The world has a lot to offer that can bring you joy and happiness. But it is only for a moment. And it comes at a deep cost. And it's amazing how quickly the world can take something that's not intended for bad, but it can twist it and make it toxic. Getting together with our friends every week to play games was something we had a tradition of doing and it Brought a lot of laughter and brought a lot of fun. It was great. And then it turned to social drinking. To more drinking. To harder drinks and drinking games. Just to help forget how miserable
2: and worthless you felt.
3: Friends encouraging you and making you feel like you're doing a good job. Is so life giving. But then it became texting them and leaning on them instead of your spouse for value and validation. It became where you enjoyed texting and talking with them more than your spouse. It became venting about your spouse in the company of someone
2: you felt emotionally attached to.
3: And then boundaries were compromised. And I found myself in the middle of an affair. Knowing this is not a good situation to be in, I did my very best to sweep it under the rug and pretend it never happened. Easy peasy, right? I simply vowed that it was a mistake to never mention again, never do again, and to just move forward being the best wife ever. But the problem was that it didn't take long for me to burn out from a stance of striving. And it wasn't long before I found myself right where I was before in another
2: Affair. But this time
3: it was discovered, and I was kicked out of my home and sent to plead with my mom in the middle of the night to stay with her. And in those wee hours of the night, I confessed everything to my mom about what was going on and everything that I had been so diligently trying to hide. And by her amazingly motherly
2: love, she let me sleep on her couch. Those were some really hard years
1: and we we had a lot of damage. Now looking back, I remember questioning her about that first affair and being told that nothing happened. I had my suspicions. She said nothing happened. Don't worry and eventually i was able to convince myself of this at least at least enough to survive that one was actually not fully brought into the light until after i found out about the second affair now i need to also confess that i wasn't the greatest husband throughout that time without the with that lack of communication with depression, disconnection to Jody, I just found myself, found more things to pour my time into. I didn't feel loved or wanted at home, and that only encouraged me to do more work. Started unhealthy relationships, at which at that time I thought were okay. Looking back, I can now call them what they really were, an emotional affair, which is where you find validation from other people outside of, outside of your spouse. I still love Jody, but felt as though that connection was gone. And with the discovery of the second affair, I knew that there was little hope. I felt lost, hurt, and broken. And during the confrontation, I did end up telling her to stay at her mom's. I didn't know what to do. I had the kids at home, and they were worried about mommy. All I could do was put them to bed.
2: Break down on my own bedroom floor.
1: Crying. I remember pounding my fist into the floor, just crying out to God, asking why. And trying to figure out what to do. Josie the sweetheart, she just came in to check on me. All I could do was put her back to bed. Again, more crying. Till I was so exhausted.
2: I just fell into prayer. It just started happening, started flowing.
1: Asking God what he wanted me to do, because I had no idea. And you know, God answered. Spoken very clearly
2: into my heart. Forgive her. I said, Are you kidding? This is the night I found out. Are you kidding? How? Then again came the reply, The way I forgive. I just said, Lord. You're going to have to teach me how, because I don't know. And again, came that voice in my heart. See her the way that I see her. Forgive her the way I I have forgiven you. This is your chance to live out the gospel. After that, my prayers changed. They went from that to, Lord,
1: let me see Jody through your eyes. Let me love her with your heart. Change my heart, Lord. I want
2: your eyes and your heart.
1: And he worked that into me. He showed me. And now that I had a clear direction from God, I had to make a choice. It was a very conscious choice. You see, the Bible gives one clear reason for a divorce, which is an unfaithful spouse. And basically, biblically, I knew I could walk away and start over, and that would be just fine in this world. It would be just fine in the church.
2: I could just start over.
1: And I believe that God gives us that because of the immense, deep, emotional pain that comes through an affair. And I'll admit, I considered that for a moment. But while divorce is permitted in this case, it's not required. God pointed that out to me. Just because I says you can doesn't mean that you have to.
2: My heart still longed for Jody, and so I considered this thought. Do
1: I go through all that pain, all that hurt, all the baggage, with nothing but brokenness to show for it? Or do I go through that pain and the hard work of repairing our relationship and have a chance, just a little chance at the marriage that we've both always wanted. So with the promise of God walking me through this, I met with Jody and gave her my forgiveness and asked to walk through the process of reconciliation with me. And it was definitely a process that God showed himself through. Forgiving itself is a process. And when forgiveness is given, the debt may have been erased. But there are still consequences and healing to walk through. You see, I love that story that Pastor Mike talks about once in a while when he talks on forgiveness. About the whale and the harpoon. And how... Forg- offering forgiveness is like cutting that rope that connects the harpoon to the whaling vessel. The whale's now free from the, sh- from the ship, but that wound is still there. I also view sin as, as against you as a debt owed. And when you forgive a debt, just as a bank might forgive a debt, or you might forgive a debt, you know, from somebody that borrowed money from you. When you forgive that debt, it can no longer be held against them. They no longer owe you anything. And since Jesus paid the debt of all of our sins, it's now up to him as whether or not he's going to collect on that. And we just put our trust and faith in him, knowing that his discernment is much, much greater than our own.
3: Over the next several days, I spoke with many friends and spiritual mentors to talk about all that was going on and to get to hear what they would have to say about the matter. And I braced myself for the worst to receive scolding and disapproval, to hear how disappointed they were in me, and to be shamed to be shunned, but what I actually received blew me away. I was loved on and shown kindness. I was told that I wasn't judged,
2: but understood. I was told that others had
3: gone through the same thing, and I wasn't alone. This is mind-blowing to me. But still, I was torn. I knew morally I should go back to Mike.
2: But realistically,
3: I I felt like it was impossible to go back to, after everything that I had done, not to mention going back to a failing marriage. And I had a very strong suspicion that I was now pregnant with someone else's
2: child. So after much
3: turmoil of what to do, I decided to go on a walk, a very long walk. It turned out to be a four hour long walk where I prayed and prayed and told God how impossible it was to go back. I asked God if he would allow this to be a situation where he could condone us separating, as I knew many people who had gone that route and were very happy, could you just give me permission? Because it is impossible to go back to. It's completely impossible to forgive, completely impossible to move forward from, completely impossible to have
2: truly beloved is impossible. It's impossible. Near the
3: end of this four-hour-long rant with God, I was just a few blocks in returning back to my mom's house when God gave me a vision. And if you've never had a vision, it's like... Um, You're recalling a really vivid memory where you can see everything in in detail in your mind. And this vision was of me standing on a stage,
2: speaking to a large crowd.
3: And there was a screen behind me of pictures of Mike and I. And I'm telling these people how God saved my marriage. And these pictures on the screen behind me were of Mike and I. And we looked so incredibly joyful and happy. It instantly stopped me in my tracks. It was like in the Bible with Saul on his way to Damascus, and God blinded him with a light and spoke to him in a way which brought about a transformation in him that he would then later be called Paul and then go on to write most of the New Testament. Here I was on a path very certain of when all of a sudden God broke through and spoke to me in a way that transformed my heart and mind. But instead of blinding me, he
2: opened my eyes. Opened my eyes to possibilities
3: that I didn't think were possible. And it reminds me of another story in the Bible, in Luke 18, where a rich man, he asks Jesus, what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus lists off a bunch of commandments to which the young man had told him that he'd been following these all his entire life. So Jesus then told him finally to sell all of his possessions and to come follow him. This made him very disheartened because he was incredibly rich. Jesus then says how hard it is for the rich to enter heaven. And then we'll pick it up in verse 26, which says, those who heard this asked, who then can be
2: saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I don't know what
3: situations you're going through right now, but I'm guessing there are some that
2: feel impossible.
3: Who then can be saved? Maybe it's financial stress and bills that keep piling up. Maybe it's health issues and chronic pain or a diagnosis that is bleak at best.
2: Maybe it's depression, anxieties, and stress. Maybe it's a boss who belittles you,
3: but you need that job. Maybe it's a family member who keeps making poor choices and affects everyone around them. Or maybe it's a relationship
2: that keeps tearing you down. Or... Maybe it's a marriage falling apart. And no matter how hard you keep trying to put it together, it fails. Who then can be saved? What is impossible with man is possible with God. I took a step of
3: faith that day. I thought if even a quarter of that joy is possible that I saw in those pictures in my vision, I wanted it and I would do whatever it took to get there. I had no idea what that would entail or even what the next step would be. All I knew was that God said it
2: was possible. So
3: I was going to trust him wholeheartedly for the first time since my dad passed away.
1: So know when I said that when you offer forgiveness, there was still consequences and healing that needed to be worked through. Time and time again, I felt like I was being tested and whether or not I was going to walk through this or I was going to walk away. I had considered the possibility of Jody being pregnant and also had a strong hunch that that might be the case. Just something that was felt in my heart. In prayer, I asked God for that not to be the case because it would just add another layer of difficulty to this already stressful, messy, yucky situation. But as it would be, she was pregnant. And again, I found myself pounding my fists on the floor, asking why. This time, it was the shop floor at work, which was nice and hard.
2: All I could do was ask for strength. And after coming
1: to terms with that, I had this thought. I prayed, Lord, at least let it be a girl.
2: (laughs) I could love a girl so much easier, especially if she looked like my wife.
1: I just thought it would be easier as it would be. It was a boy. Okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. Your ways are best. Just carry me through this. And again, and again, and again, he did. And now, now I can't imagine my life without him. That little boy, or the joy, the joy that he brings to our family, the joy that I have for him, the love that I have for him, is more than I could ever have even hoped for. He's my boy. He's my son. Just his existence has brought healing in our marriage and in our family.
3: I have to say, when you open yourself up fully to God and give him complete permission to do what he feels needs to be done, you are not going to walk away from that situation the same person. After taking that step of faith and being willing and open, I can honestly say that there isn't an area in my life he hasn't completely transformed. I was a mess before. And there's so much I wish I could share with you of all the ways he was so brilliant in this situation. But time doesn't doesn't allow that today but I am excited that we are starting a new women's group soon, and I will be able to share more at those. I'm not going to lie. There were several obstacles that we needed to hurdle in this journey, and many times I felt like I was tripping over them again and again and again. Shame. Shame was one of those huge obstacles for, for me. And it wasn't anyone putting shame on me except myself. I had a really hard time forgiving myself. I felt like I couldn't enjoy things like everyone else because I needed to feel and carry the stance of one who was feeling the grievance of their sins. If I was happy and laughing, did I really feel the weight of what I had done? I I had a hard time keeping my head up. Instead, I would look down not make eye contact. I was a horrible sinner after all.
2: But God, but God... But God kept bringing the verse,
3: Romans 8, 1, in my path. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every single day, I would come across this verse. Not intentionally. I would just open up my devotions, and there would be Romans 8, 1. I'd go on Facebook, and someone would post Romans 8.1. I would go to church. They would reference Romans 8.1. I would turn on the radio. They would be reading Romans 8.1. It followed me everywhere I went every single day.
2: Now, this helped me to know that I was forgiven, but I still didn't feel forgiven. And to help me with that, God gave me one more vision.
3: Standing next to God, we were at the place where Jesus was being whipped. This is right before he's about to be crucified. And as Jesus was being whipped, God would call out one of my sins. Jesus would get whipped. God would call out another sin. Beating after beating after beating, sin after sin after sin, until God turned to me and said, it's done. All of your sins have now been dealt with. And as I looked over at Jesus, who was now completely bloodied
2: and torn to shreds,
3: I felt God was asking me, I'm completely satisfied that your sins have been taken care of. Do you? Do you think that Jesus needs to take more for you to be satisfied
2: of your forgiveness? Jesus willingly
3: did that. He wasn't a victim. He didn't resist. He didn't complain. He took it all fully so we could be fully forgiven. I feel like I need to repeat that. He took it all fully so we could be fully forgiven. If you're struggling in an area of your life that sin has a hold of, Stand in that place with God. And as you confess those sins, those struggles, those strongholds, allow yourself to envision Jesus taking that sin and receiving that punishment for it. I promise you, you will not be the same. And the only way I can best describe how I felt after that, and it's the perfect time of year to... Is it that scene from where the Grinch's heart grew
2: three sizes that day?
3: God is a redeemer. He doesn't waste anything when you give it to him. And God has been redeeming us and our past right down to when we were dating. talked about having kids.
2: I wanted, I wanted three kids.
3: Mike, he wanted two, (laughs) and to adopt one. God worked that together he worked that desire early in our marriage in our dating even he put that desire early on in mike's heart and when we brought that little boy into our world into our family we decided to name him after one of mike's siblings that was still born his name is josiah which means God supports and heals, and I can't think of a better name for him as God has been healing and supporting us in all of this.
1: We did have our role to play in this as well. We went to marriage counseling where Linda Vernon, our our marriage counselor, was just amazing and poured into us. She played such an important role in teaching us how to communicate and actually talk to each other now. <laughs> tell, tell each other what we want, what we need. And, you know, just the way that God lined up us being able to go see her is a whole nother testimony in itself. It's completely ordained by God.
2: We're going to start wrapping things up and we're going to call the prayer teams forward.
3: I know uh, Daniel preached a couple of weeks ago that he had an incredible breakthrough in his life when he started incorporating speaking tongues. And I couldn't agree more. I started praying in the, in the tongues and in spirit all the time after I took that step of faith to go back to Mike. And I saw radical transformations happening in myself and in my marriage and in my family. Things just started happening. And he was bringing about healing in our hearts and our minds. And a new us was emerging from it. And if speaking in tongues is something that you would like to receive, this is for everyone and you can receive it today. Our prayer teams are here to help navigate that. So we want to just leave that as an open invitation for you.
1: And speaking of prayer, one of the things that we implemented into our marriage while we were still separated was praying together. We started praying together every day and not just once.
2: We'd get up in the morning, and we
1: still do this. We get up in the morning, we start our day with prayer. At noon, at lunchtime, we message each other, we text each other, telling each other what our needs are, what's on our heart, what we're needing support in. And then once again, we pray after after family devotions at night, before we go to bed. And then there was also learning to let go, letting go of our pride, our ideas, our plans. God's called us to be pastoring a church in Elborn. God's doing that. We're doing that. And the old me would not have done that. We just seek God's will, seek out his plans. And knowing that he's carried us through so many other things, we know that he'll carry us through this as well. We just stand stand on our testimony. It wouldn't be without letting go and letting God take control. Letting God deal with things in his own way and letting God Be God in our lives. So if you're struggling in your faith, if there's things you're hanging on to that need letting go, struggling in forgiveness, no matter how big or small, if you're seeking reconciliation with loved ones, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Because, you see, our God, he can redeem anything. Anything. He did for us, and I really hope that our story, which is really God's story, can be an encouragement to you in hard times when they come and point you to the God who cares, the God who heals,
2: and the God that redeems. As we close, we have prayer teams up here.
1: Come up for prayer if you need it. And if you're not coming up for prayer, we just ask that you please take any conversation out into the fellowship hall so that this room, this sanctuary, can focus on prayer and healing. So let's close now. Lord God, we are so thankful to be here together this afternoon. I thank you for the healing that you have put in our lives, the healing that's been brought through this church that you've ordained. And we know, Lord, that your healing isn't just for us, but for everyone, for
2: all who seek it. And so, God, speak into our lives, speak into our hearts. Help us to let you take control of us. We thank you so much for this time. In your precious name, we pray. Amen.